Thank you, Kevin, and thank you for letting me be a part of these wonderful worship services and Bible studies all through the day. I'm grateful that my sweet wife of 52 years, Diane, is able to be with me and our granddaughters, Patricia and Brianna. We have just enjoyed your fellowship. And ladies, and perhaps gentlemen as well, thank you for that wonderful meal. The guys that catered it, wasn't that good barbecue? That was just really good. Thank you for making that available for us. And we just enjoyed enjoying one another's fellowship uh, during the mealtime. Thank you for your thoughts of kindness, words of appreciation. But it has been our blessing to be with you. I'm going to ask you one more time to think with me about this passage that was just read. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. But before, raise your hand if you have ever heard of the Jewel Miller film strips. Anybody? Of course. Oh, they've been a staple for years in allowing us the joy of sharing the gospel with our friends. When I was in the third grade, my father moved his young family to Houston, Texas. And there he served with the McGregor Park Church of Christ. His associate minister in that great work was a man named Jewel Miller. And I remember as a young boy in the third grade, running up and down the church building halls during the summer, and I would look into a Bible classroom, and there was Jewel Miller, and he was actually creating the Jewel Miller film strips, and I saw those become a reality. They've been around that long, and they have helped convert no telling how many thousands of people to Jesus. How many of us have heard of the open Bible study? And perhaps you have used them and used them effectively. Brother Ivan Stewart did a great job putting those together. It was just a few years ago I was down in Oklahoma City for an Affirming the Faith Saturday. And after services, I was in the foyer and I heard somebody holler my name and turned around and it was a 90 plus year old Ivan Stewart. We had had several opportunities to serve Jesus together when we were down in the Fort Worth and Dallas area. And it was a delight to see Ivan again. No telling how many thousands of people his heart and mind have helped bring to Jesus through that simple series of Bible studies. Raise your hand if you've heard of 30 Minutes with Someone Who Loves You, J. Sidlow Baxter. Not as frequently known in these parts, perhaps, but back in the Texas area, those were uh, flip shows uh, that you could use, flip charts, once again to help individuals in just 30 minutes see how easy it is to become a child of God. Many of us today have found a delight in just sitting down and opening up the Bible and folks coming and sitting next to us and we just say, look at this passage. What does that say to you? What is God in that passage actually saying? And we just open up our hearts one with another and start 
studying God's Word, and in the process, become more of what Jesus wants us to be, lead people to Jesus. And hundreds of thousands have been brought to the Lord through that kind of a process. Gospel meetings, tent meetings, debates, Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, gospel preaching and Bible classes, all designed to help us attune our hearts, help others attune their hearts to the will of God. But why aren't our buildings full to the running over every Lord's Day? And why don't we see half of those present Individuals who are wanting to come to know Jesus rather than individuals who have known Jesus for decades. Why is it we can say that the church was growing faster and greater in the 1950s than it is in the 2020s? Folks, that was 60 to 70 years ago. And why is it that some are saying we are not doing as good a job in evangelizing our world or in making disciples of our world than generations prior? Could it be we have come to enjoy our place in the kingdom? Could it be we live within the perimeters of our comfort zone and leave me alone in my comfort zone. Our thoughts today aren't designed to do that. And I hope that your thoughts have already been challenged. If not, sit back and buckle your seatbelt. Because we're fixing to be challenged beyond measure in the three passages we have for this afternoon. Where have we been in our study on disciples making disciples? Go, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. One command, make disciples, mathetusetei. Three participles telling us how to do that. Go, that is, invest in the lives of people. Baptizing them, that is, immersing those who believe in Jesus and are willing to change the way they think and live in repentance. Baptizing people, that is, immersing folks to be saved, forgiven from their past. And then teaching them to observe all things whatever I have past tense commanded you. Commanded you in reference to what? What's he talking about? Making disciples. And so we step back into the Gospels and we see what Jesus had been saying about discipleship. And we see that by and large, he had only about nine things to say outside of the passage that we have currently brought to our attention. There are three passages in Matthew chapter 10, there are three in Luke chapter 14, and three in a cluster of chapters in the book of John. You remember in our Bible class hour we saw from Matthew chapter 10, as we think about the word disciple, as Jesus thought of that word when he used it, we see that a disciple in the mind of Jesus was somebody that listens to him. 
A disciple in the mind of Jesus is someone who looks like him. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. And a disciple in the mind of Jesus is someone who lives as Jesus lives, reaching out to and involving self with the marginalized of society. That's what it is involved in making disciples of ourselves. I cannot become one unless I listen to Jesus telling me how to be one. I cannot look like one unless I look like Him. And I can't live like one unless I live like Him. That's how I make a disciple of myself. Not a member of the church of Christ. And I don't minimize that in the slightest. There's nothing more precious than the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. But it is the disciple that is added by Jesus to the church that belongs to Christ. And so we're not involving ourselves in how do I make somebody a member of the church of Christ? You say they're the same. No, they're not. There are many on the role of the church of Christ that are the farthest thing from being a disciple. Now, if I'm a disciple, I will be a member of the church that belongs to Christ. Amen? We're not here to baptize. We're here to make disciples. But to make disciples, part of it is baptize. And yet we talk about baptize all the time. To the point, oh yeah, you're all the people that think you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. Well, yes. Answer this question. Do I have to be a disciple to go to heaven? Amen. But how do you become a disciple? Well, you have to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then be what Jesus thinks a disciple is. So I must be baptized. We're going about saying, let's, say, let's study the Bible together. I want to study with you. Is that all right? Let's do that. Okay. Brother Mike, he's going to get up here. He's going to preach those great sermons. I've heard him preach. I love to hear him preach. Going to have these wonderful Bible school classes. Why? We want to study the Bible so we can baptize you and add you to the church of Christ. No! We want to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when we make you a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are baptized into Jesus Christ, added by Jesus Himself to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, and you continue to strive to be what? Oh, I'm a church of Christ. No! You try to be what? A Christian. That word's only found three times in the Bible. You'll want to be what? You struggle and strive to be a disciple of Jesus. And you are a Christian when you're that. And you are a member of the church that belongs to Christ when you're that. You see, we're not doing as good enough job at this, brethren, because we have lost sight of proper focus. It's not grow the church of Christ. And I'm not wanting to be misunderstood there, please. We want to grow the church that belongs to Christ. But it's not our focus. The focus is not baptize everybody we can. We must baptize. Don't minimize that, but that's not our focus. The one command of the commission in Matthew 28 gives us our focus, and it is make disciples. Oh, Maybe that's why we're not as successful. We're trying to do the wrong things. Refine the, 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 the paradigm. 
Change the culture of this congregation and your own life as a Christian. Be about making yourself a disciple. Be about making others disciples. That's how you make one. Of course, from Luke chapter 14, we looked at three verses that tell us what it takes to remain a disciple, where three more times Jesus uses the word, and we saw that to remain a disciple, we must love Jesus more than anyone else in our lives, self-included. We must live being totally consumed by Jesus, and we must be loyal to Him, him so that everything that we have belongs to Him and is used for Jesus. And if I don't love Him more than anyone else, if my life isn't consumed by Him, if I'm not loyal to Him more than anyone else, He says, His words, I don't have what it takes to remain a disciple. We've seen what is involved in making a disciple of ourselves and others. We've seen what is involved in what it takes to remain a disciple. Let's turn to three more verses and see how to spot a fake disciple. You know, someone who says they're a follower of Jesus, but really isn't. I've seen preachers of the gospel who are fake disciples because of what I know. I have seen elders in the Lord's church who are fake disciples because of what I know. I've seen wealthy, I've seen poor, I've seen young, I've seen old who are fake disciples because of what I know. What I want to know is, are you a fake disciple? The Lord had a fancy word for that. He called it hypocrite. Now we're going to turn to three verses where this word is used in John that will tell us how to spot a true disciple and therefore how to spot a fake disciple. Turn with me first of all to John chapter 8 and let's read together verses 31 and 32. Verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews, to whom? To the Jews, but not a, just the Jews, but a particular demographic of the Jews. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him. Now let's pause for a moment and let's, let's ask ourselves, to whom is Jesus really speaking on this occasion? You see, the word that is translated believe is pesteuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, pesteuo. And if I were to spend some time in Joseph Henry Thayer's great lexicon of the Greek New Testament, and I focused on that word, pestuo, and its cognate noun, pestis, I would find that this word believe has with it three basic components. It carries the idea or emphasis of accepting what God says. It, has, it carries the, the, the component or the idea of trusting in what God says. And it has the, opponent, the component or is involved in also acting on what God says. Accept what God says, trust in what God says, 
act on what God says, pestuo. And thus we say with the little adage, the faith that saves is the faith that obeys, because that's pestuo. So Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews, a special demographic, who had come to accept what God says about Jesus, trust in what God says about Jesus, and act on what God says about Jesus through the teachings of Jesus Himself. He's speaking to believers in keeping with that, that particular word translated believed. Not only does the word believe translate this word that means to accept, trust, and act on what God says, it translates a verb form that means back there they came to that point of faith. And the consequences of that continued to that very moment. Here's the idea. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who sometime in the background, in the past, had come to accept what God says about Jesus through His teachings, trust in what God says about Jesus through His teachings, and act on what God said through Jesus in, uh, about Jesus through His teachings. They were individuals who believed in Jesus, accepting, trusting, acting upon, obeying. To these people, Jesus said, Do you accept what God says about Jesus? Do you trust in what God says about Jesus? Have you acted on what God says about Jesus to the point you believe, repent, you've been baptized to be saved, forgiven of your past? If so, you're like the people to whom Jesus is speaking here with this obedient faith. He says to these people, He's saying to you and to me who have this kind of an obedient faith, if you abide in My Word, if you know, if you stay inside, if you remain in My Word, you are truly My disciples. There's the word that He used. Truly My disciples implies to me you can claim to be a disciple, but in His eyes, you're not. Well, looking at that verse in converse, if I claim to be His disciples, but in His eyes, I am not. Why? It's because I'm not remaining in His Word, in His teachings. A disciple is someone, as Jesus used the word, who remains, who stays inside the teachings of the Word of God, of course, the New Testament. Brethren, when I come to feel that way about Jesus and His covenant, the New Testament, you can't keep me from being here for Bible class hour because I want to know as much about that as possible. I will not be spasmodic in my attendance of worship because I want to be here and tell God how much I love Him through my worship and learn more about the book that is teaching me what He wants me to be and do. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4 we read, Preach the Word. Be urgent in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine or teaching. And I know that Mike Hickson does that on a regular basis. 
And if I'm remaining in, if I'm abiding in His Word, I will not be able to get enough of that. And Brother Mike will bless my life every time he's in the podium because I want to be here and I want his thinking, his research, the studies he's given to God's Word to impregnate my heart and make their way through my life. I'm remaining in the Word. That's a disciple. If you were to back up a few verses to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you would read those familiar words, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction which is in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. The Bible is here so that I can believe what I'm supposed to believe. It's profitable for doctrine. The Bible is here so that I can behave the way I'm supposed to behave. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in living right. The Bible is here so that I can be what I'm supposed to be, complete in every good work. How what I believe, how I behave, and what I'm supposed to be all flows from the Word. And a true disciple says, that's where you're going to find me, in the Word. I love the podcasts. I love the Bible school class. I love the opportunities to, to, to dive deeper in Scripture with this commentary, with that. I want to know as much about this and how it, what it means to my life, what it means, and as uh, uh, my, my dear friend, Brother B.J. Clark says, what it means and then what it means to us. Bring it into my life. A true disciple, a true disciple abides in his word. You don't come to Bible class? Your worship on Sunday morning, Sunday night, somewhat spasmodic? Really? Wednesday night I'll be here if convenient. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Recently I was given the privilege to see the belongings of an individual. And among that individual's belongings were the person's Bibles. You can tell a lot about a person by just looking at their Bible. Unused. You can look at this Bible, and it's tattered and torn. And you can even tell where they have spent most of their time. Okay, I can see he spent or she spent most of their time in the New Testament. Or they've spent most of their time in the Psalms. You can just tell by looking at the edges of the Bible how much it's been used and where they have spent most of their time. What does your Bible look like? What do the edges of your Bible look like? And if it's brand new, I understand. But if you've had it a while, what does it look like? By the way, where is it Monday through Saturday? Abide in His Word. That's a disciple. Now, in the book of John, not all in one chapter, but we don't have to go too far. If we turn the page just a two or three times, we'll come to John chapter 13. And we'll find the second time in this great book that Jesus employs our term of interest, disciple. 
Familiar words in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as or just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, have love for one another. Love one another, love one another, love one another, or love for one another. I see that three times in those two verses. Now, all three times, the word that is translated is agapao, the verb, or the cognate noun agape. And of the words that the Greeks had for love, this is the word that is more logical in nature. You know, we use the word love in a variety of ways. Man, I tell you, I love pecan pie. I love, I love that cheesecake at Cheesecake City or City Cheesecake. Well, I don't care what it's called. They had good stuff. I love that stuff. I love my mama. I love my mama a little different than I like to love that cheesecake. I love my mama. I love my wife. I love my wife a lot different than I love my mama. I kiss my mama when I see her every time. When I see her and say hi, when I have to say goodbye, and I kiss my mama. I kiss my mama on the lips. I kiss my wife on the lips. I kiss my wife a whole lot different than I kiss my mama. different kind of love. Now the word that is love in this passage is agape or agapao, and this love is a love that is logical. By and large, you know, um, you have storgeo, which is more a family love. It's, um, then you have phileo, which is more of an emotional friend love. And it's those two loves that you find a lot in a mama's heart. A little boy comes running in and he's, he's uh, scraped his knee and he's just a whimpering and he's a crying. And a little girl comes and she's cut her arm and she's wailing like she's just half dead. And, and mama says, oh, honey, come here. Let me see what we got. Let me get something. We need to put something on that. Bless your heart. And daddy says, rub a little dirt on it. It'll get better later. But when that little girl turns into a young lady, and she comes in and she says, I found the right one. He's Mr. Somebody Special. And he's asked me out on a date. And Mama says, oh, good. Come sit down here. Let's talk to me. Oh, what's he like? And Daddy says, what's his daddy do? You see, there's the emotional love, but then there's the logical. And in this passage, the word that Jesus uses four times is the word for the logical. And this Agape or agapao means you want what is best for the one that you love. Now let's put that back into our passage. A new commandment I give to you. Want what is best for each other because you love each other. Just as I have wanted what is best for you because I love you. 
you also should want what is best for one another because you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you want what is best for one another because you have love one for another. This is the idea a disciple says, I want what's best for you because of the way I feel about you. You want to see how important that is? Turn to 1 Peter 1 verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth, unto sincere, unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently. Let's do a deep dive. What does that mean? They had purified their souls. They had become spiritually clean. You remember the words that Paul was told, or Saul? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, get clean. You remember the words of Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about the washing of water with the Word, how to get clean. You remember the words of Titus chapter 3, the washing of regeneration, the cleansing that will make a new person out of you, baptism. You have cleansed yourself. You've been baptized. Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. They had submitted their will to God's will and done what God's will said to do to get clean spiritually. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized. They'd done that. But this is not what we usually see. They had purified their souls in their obedience to the truth. Look at the next phrase. For, or some translations say, unto unfeigned sincere love. Now the word that is translated for or unto is that little three-letter Greek preposition, ice, which carries the emphasis of in order to obtain. We have taught that forever when it comes to Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, ice, for, unto, in order to obtain the forgiveness of your sins. This passage says, they had cleansed themselves by obeying what the Bible says do to be clean, and they did it in order to obtain the sincere love of brethren. And the word for the sincere love of the brethren is that word, Philadelphia. Phileo, the love of a friend. Adelphos, brother. Loving a spiritual brother, sister as a friend. Brotherly love. They had cleansed their souls by obeying the truth in order to obtain the love they saw in Christians. And as a result, they were taught agapao. Now you want what is best for those that you love who are Christians as well. The point is, here were people to whom Peter was writing, and they had become Christians to be cleansed of their past because they wanted the love they saw in Christians. That moved them to the truth that moved them 
to obey the truth and thus move them to be cleansed by the truth. They were motivated toward that path because of the love they saw in Christians. How many are a Christian today because of the love they've seen in your life for other Christians? I know people today who have left my Lord because of the way they were treated by Christians. I know people today who have left my Lord and have left preaching for my Lord because of the way they have been treated by other preachers. I know individuals today who have left my Lord, who have left preaching my Lord, who have left anything to do with my Lord because of the way leadership in the church has treated them with a want of affection. Shame and for shame and for shame. And don't you sit there and tell me, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You're not in His eyes if you don't want what is best for the one that you love. This will change everything about us, brethren. It will literally revolutionize the way we react to one another and treat one another and the caution that it will bring into our lives. To be a disciple of Jesus, I am someone who can't get enough of the word of my Lord and I am going to constantly, constantly let people know I love them by the way I treat them. That's a disciple. Why are we baptizing as many as we one did? Because we're not behaving like we once behaved. Pure and simple. I mean, we got the truth. We may have the truth, but we don't have a clue about discipleship when we act that way. Amen? There's one more time that Jesus used this word in the book of John. We turn the page to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, we learn that we are to live in the word if we're truly a disciple. We're to want what is best for one another because of the love that we share for one another as disciples. And then we learn that a disciple is someone who lauds, magnifies, glorifies God with their lives. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus said, By this, my Father is glorified. Now that should catch my attention as a Christian. By this, this, not all of this, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. It's the book of Titus that tells me I'm to be ready unto every good work. That teaches me that I am to be zealous of good works. That teaches me to maintain good works. And so it might be good for us to spend some time in our personal studies opening up our concordance and look at the word good. And from these New Testament verses identify what the Holy Spirit calls good. Now that's good. Well, that's a great thing. Oh, that's a good thing to do. Well, that's good. And identify all of these things things that are good according to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. 
and then brainstorm as an individual and say, how can I minister to others doing something good like that? And create a plan. It may be just, you may come up with 15. And you may say, this is the month that I'm going to give attention to good work number one. And you just find many opportunities to bear fruit for God in that arena of what you have found to be a good work. The next month, item number two. Next month, item number three. Or you may want to just say, okay, here are 15. Uh, if, if I'm young enough, I, I'm on, this, this year is item number one. Next year is item number two. If you're my age, you're going to run out of years before you get to the end of those 15. But the point is, itemize what the Holy Spirit calls good and get busy ministering to people in those areas. That's how the Father is glorified. Now, remember this passage. You're here as a person for one reason. As a church, as a Christian, we have a focus, and that focus is make disciples. Jesus telling us how to do so. But as individual Christians, we have only one purpose. And that purpose is not evangelism. I've heard that said before. That's not true. Evangelism, making disciples, will flow from the one purpose, but that's not the one purpose. Here's the one purpose. Whatever you do, do you see how all-inclusive that is? Whatever. Whatever. Husband, whatever. Brother in Christ, whatever. Bible school teacher, whatever. Sister in Jesus, whatever. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. In word or in deed. Whatever you say. To whomever you say it. Whatever you do, with whomever you're doing it, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all. That's all-inclusive. Do everything. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. And that's why we're here. For no other purpose than to glorify God. But there's... You know how you do that? No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said in John 14, 6. You exalt Jesus to glorify God. You exalt Jesus by being His disciple in keeping with His use of the Word and thus glorify God. And this is part of being a disciple. I'm going to laud, glorify God by the way I live in anything I say, in everything that I do. A disciple. A disciple. As we close, we come down in the same context. And Jesus says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
Have you made a disciple out of yourself? Have you accepted what it takes to be a disciple in keeping with Jesus? I'm going to ask you to be brutally honest with yourself, truly. I don't care where, what stage you are in in life or what phase you find yourself in the Lord's church. Be brutally honest. Are you really faking it? Or are you truly a disciple as Jesus used that word? Think about it, and if you're so challenged, make this invitation yours as we stand together and sing.